Welcome to episode 13 of Cyberbytes the Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cooper, co-founder of Aspron Search. This week's guest, we have Nippon Gupta. Nippon discusses how he rose from being a kid in Delhi to his now position of COO at Bearer in London. He talks about his time at CMU University and how that advanced his career in technology. A man spanning a career across consulting, finance, venture, and now startup, he's seen it all. And we laser in on his time at Deutsche Bank within the cyber innovation team and how they identified the future cyber threats. We talk about much more, so let's dive in. Uh, how you doing, my man? Very good. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. All good. Uh, revving up for, for RSA next week. Uh, obviously, I can't uh, can't go, but I'm tearing up the the team with meetings, and I know they're very excited to to go and get some some sunshine in uh, San Francisco. But I did tell them they'll be in the conference <laughs> with no sun. Yeah, I think uh, like every RSA I've been to when I used to live in San Francisco was rainy. So don't expect too much. Yeah. I'll let them know that. I think they've been looking at the weather thinking, oh, this will be great. But uh, no, I think they're just looking forward to getting getting in front of people now because uh, it's obviously been a strange time with no face-to-face meetings and stuff like that. But no, where, where are you in the world at the moment? I live in London now. You're in London. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that transition from the US to, to the UK. Um, but yeah, first things first, Nip, and what I've been doing with all my guests is just running right back to where it all began and how you got into security and then we can go through your career today. That's a very exciting road to follow and I'll tell you um, how exactly it started. Um, so I was a high school kid in, in Delhi, India and uh, you know, always experimenting with computers. Um, look, I was not a programmer, I'm, I'm not too shy to admit it, uh, but I was always a tinkerer. And uh, that meant that uh, every time I saw something interesting happening, uh, I would go and investigate it and try to make it happen again or uh, make it unhappen. Um, and, and things that excited me a lot was these virus notifications that I would see time and again. Um, or um, things that evolved into were uh, when I was at university, um, you know, there was a MAC address-based uh, um, metering on on how much Wi-Fi could somebody use at the university. These were early days of uh, wireless internet, and uh, they didn't want people to keep downloading movies and stuff from torrents, so they metered uh, how much somebody could use. And uh, I was like, this is too much, right? This I, I don't want to deal with this. So I figured out a way to spoof my MAC address and uh, basically get unlimited internet downloads and, and usage out of uh, my university's internet, right? So I think these are the kind of things that excited me a lot earlier on and to look into computer security, cybersecurity more seriously as a potential um, field of specialization and ended up going to Carnegie Mellon University for my master's in cybersecurity uh, after an engineering undergrad. Uh, and then that really you know, opened up the world uh, in terms of what I could do, what I could learn. Um, and CMU's program is, I think, one of the world's best when it comes to teaching what is cybersecurity. And they teach it from all kinds of perspectives, like from technology, uh, from software engineering, from policy, networking. Um, so you're getting probably the best theoretical mm. and practical experience you could as an introduction uh, to mm. security. So that means you could do anything you want. Literally after that, you could go be a security engineer, a consultant, 
you know, be a policy expert if you wanted to, I don't know, work in uh, Biden administration in the US, right? Like there, there are so many different ways people charted their career paths after that uh, program. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know the the, the school and um, they breed, yeah, some really great people. Are some of your friends in any interesting positions that you went to, to university with, do you still stay in touch with them? Have, have they uh, landed any interesting roles that you can mention? Yeah, no, of course, um, you know, there are people who are uh, now like CISOs at many uh, publicly listed companies to like small companies, uh, people who are working at, um, you know, CISA, um, the, the government uh, body who's mm -hmm. like focused on cybersecurity done by Jen Easterly, uh, people working at MITRE, uh, you know, there are uh, people who are, uh, you know, starting security companies and even like all the way to the exit. So yeah. um, there's so many alumni that are making CMU proud and, and me very excited about the potential of this program and uh, continue yeah. to give gifts. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm real. So what, what was your first role then out of university? Let's run through your career track. Yeah. So just out of university, I was like, look, uh, you know, I'm not specifically interested in engineering you know I, I i was always bad at coding so i was like okay what can i do you know going back to my tinkering ideas you know i could always find flaws and and tell people like how to fix things because i did that at home all the time right uh for for their computers that were buggy or that were not like doing well i could do that so i was like okay let's try this as a corporate job so I started as a consultant at pwc um where the idea was to kind of be a part of the technical team um, that would mm, go to the clients and pen test their networks, their applications, and you know give them results in a consumable language, present it to senior leadership, uh, help them understand how important is security, but at the same time like um, make it actionable, right? So that that's that was always the the focus for uh, a consultant type like job at a PwC, um, did that on the East Coast quite a bit, um, only to realize, look, I want to be a little bit more technical, right? Like this is uh, great, but the focus on all of this is very much, you know, the politics around how to present the findings, uh, what to suppress, what to highlight, etc. So like, no, no, I want the source of truth to come out exactly the way it is, right? So I wanted to be more technical, found another job at a company called ISEC Partners, and um, you know they were really focused on application security. So their job was to consult companies like Facebook, Dropbox, the high-tech industry in the Silicon Valley um, to help them build and ship more secure software, right? Or, or to help them find security issues in their software in production. Mm -hmm. So I think it's probably the best training ground that anyone in software security can uh, expect. Um, you know, people who work there or who were the founders went on to lead uh, security at companies like Facebook, Airbnb, et cetera. So uh, gave, you know, probably the best experience anyone could expect. And um, I learned a lot uh, during that time and actually uh, is some of the basics that are really important for what I do today in my day job. Um, and uh, yeah, from that point on, uh, did several different roles um, uh, in consulting, uh, wanted to move to more strategic, more important uh, role in consulting went on to Deloitte, um, where I worked for larger, more complex kind of uh, problem sets. And then um, eventually kind of got tired of 
finding problems and and you know uh, reporting them right uh, so the idea was okay like what can i do so maybe i can um, you know understand the problems from a bigger picture perspective and started to uh, help deloitte kind of create new lines of business by partnering with software security startups, right? So I was okay, you know what? Like we cannot do everything under the sun and nor can we hire the best people in the kind of split we are seeing in the security industry. So how do we make that happen without, you know, scaling ourselves? So partnerships was the next best thing. Uh, and uh, we carved out a venture fund for it. Uh, we invested in some companies indirectly through uh, another venture fund. So, uh, you Lots of things that an average like security consultant never gets to do. Um, well, it was the exciting part there. Yeah, I was going to say, because that for me, that seems like a really interesting role that you don't really see on many resumes, like that cyber innovation. So that all started at Deloitte. So you mm -hmm. spent about four years there looking. Is that about right? Was you around four years there? Yeah, yeah. four years uh, looking into this and then, you know, finally being very serious with the corp dev team and investing in a VC and, you know, signing partnerships, um, training our partners, you know, as, as a senior consultant manager, you know, you rarely get a chance to, uh, you know, act in this role uh, at a company like Deloitte. So, um, you know, I, th I think I was fortunate uh, that I was, at uh, the right place, right time, but also had a lot of passion for doing this, which which made me, uh, you know, uh, valuable for for these uh, projects at Deloitte. Yeah, the exposure in that role. So obviously, you started your career as a technical uh, guy, and then you've then come into this sort of venture world. And I know that sort of you've c continued to do that. So let's talk a little bit more. So after Deloitte, you ended up. Where was you after that? Um, so I think then it was all about. Have, having done consulting for such a long time, uh, you always feel that you're only, you know, seeing this problem from um, the external standpoint. So where is that perspective? It wasn't full enough. It wasn't rich enough for me uh, to learn how to solve security problems until I was on the other side, until I could actually, uh, you know, do something that was impactful. So Deutsche Bank's opportunity to do this was right you know, um, rightly placed for me where I didn't need like super deep experience as a defender, but I could still contribute to the defending at Deutsche Bank by helping them discover uh, the newest uh, and the best possible fits for their gaps in, in, in their cybersecurity. Yeah. While she was at DB Deutsche Bank, um, I saw that you spoke about quantum computing. Mm -hmm. This might refresh your memory. Um, and I was at DEF CON last year, and then I saw that they had their first quantum computing village last year. So you were speaking about that, what, five, six years ago? Is that about right? And then it's the first video. Can you just talk to me a little bit about what that specifically was? And it's Absolutely. Sort of... I think it was one of the most exciting things, uh, you know, as a cyber innovation lead, I was able to do. Um, Look, Deutsche Bank is such a unique place. Uh, it's a systemically important financial institution. Like if Deutsche Bank fails, there is impact on the economy of Europe. Uh, so it's it's that important. So then that means some things that they have to be early in some decisions uh, in managing risk. Uh, quantum computing was identified as one of those disruptive technologies that we should keep track of. And uh, you know, since we're keeping track of disruptive tech, we should also keep track of how to manage risk that is yeah. related. 
So our cybersecurity team was uh, fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, PhD researchers in cryptography uh, who were passionate about, you know, understanding, identifying risks and, you know, managing them in, in when it comes to quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like diving deep, you you start to see that this is not just about having a quantum computer today, right? Um, because let's say quantum computer gets released in 10 years or so, but by that time, uh, you also have the capability to break encryption, right? Um, and I'm simplifying it a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Like at the end of the day, if you can break known encryption algorithms 10 years later, uh, do you have the time now to fix your encryption algorithms or upgrade them? No, right? So I think this has to be planned well in advance and understood well in advance. And um, so so we did that research, understood what was at risk at Deutsche Bank and started to kind of create a migration path to more secure quantum proof um, nice. encryption. Uh, and, and, you know, that was, uh, and that's what is expected by Deutsche Bank's clients, right? Like, they want to see Deutsche Bank investing into things that are almost impossible for a startup to do, right? Yeah. So that's that was exciting. Yeah. Is there any other uh, projects at that particular time that that you worked on that you found really interesting? That was just one I pulled off your LinkedIn that looked pretty cool. Was do you remember any of the others specifically? Yeah, I think another one we invested in was uh, Deception. Um, I think uh, looking at the estate of Deutsche Bank, it's uh, hard to protect everything in a successful, confident manner, right? So um, what about the places where we couldn't focus so much, but still were important, or we couldn't get to as soon as possible when it comes to defending or, or protecting them to the level we wanted to. And I think for those places, it was very exciting to kind of explore how can we, um, you know, augment that capability with uh, things like deception, where we want to understand how attackers want to, um, you know, potentially try and reach, potentially try to attack us, and with that capability, we were able to get a lot of insight into their patterns and accordingly focus on what's important to protect in terms of, instead of doing like everything under the sun that you would want to as a Deutsche Bank. <laughs> um, so you really focused on things that were important to protect from a capability perspective, from a controls perspective, rather than, uh, you know, uh, uh, try to do everything. Yeah. So th- that that was another interesting one uh, for us. Nice, nice. So when did you end up joining Devo? When, when did that, was that after Deutsche Bank? So uh, I think during the middle of pandemic, uh, my wife and I started talking about uh, life, philosophy, and a lot of things that came into question uh, when the humanity was under such a big threat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, one of the things we always wanted to do is, like, try to live in different continents. And we were, you know, born in Asia and then lived in U.S. for a little bit. But, um, you know, what about Europe? Right? That was that was a big question mark. And we, we really were excited to explore this more. And London seemed to be in a you know the best uh, best of both breeds. Like I know Brexit has happened, not officially European Union, <laughs> but still this, this is European as a continent. So and it gives you the proximity to all things healthier and romantic. Uh, yeah. in, in, right. So um, that's that was uh, you know the imperative uh, 
excitement that we wanted to explore with uh, this move. And uh, that happened. And during that time, um, figured out that a role with Devo uh, as a field CISO would be exciting. And so I started there uh, right after. Nice, nice. Was the process from relocating to the US, the UK, quite an easy transition? Because I know a lot of the US friends I've got wanting to do the similar journey that are US citizens, though. So I don't know if it would have been different for you. But um, they, they, they say that like it's quite difficult to actually you need to get like a, a job and go for a specific uh, approval process by like Tech Nation and all that sort of stuff. How, how was that process? Was it? Yeah, so I think uh, Tech Nation, a body that kind of got defunded recently, uh, you know, so that is responsible for issuing visas to the next generation of digital talent in, in UK. And uh, they make it super easy once you get the visa to live here, um, you know, become a citizen. Uh, so I think I identified that as the only way uh, if we were to go and live in the UK, uh, because it gives you the freedom of movement between companies and all that, yeah. right? Um, however, ap applying it, uh, applying for it was was hard, right? Because you needed to get almost like an equivalent of ten reference letters. Because they really want to know how your project is going to contribute to the skill set that's going to uh, upgrade the economy potential for UK, right? Like, because they just don't want engineers for the sake of having engineers, right? They want people who have contributed to the technology sector in a significant way and can do that in an entrepreneurial way, potentially in the future. So you can create more jobs, you know, help the economy, UK, of course. And, you know, <laughs> that that was deep, right? I, I had never done anything like that before. So I'll, I equated to like a business school application, right? So, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So joined Devo, coming to the UK, moved to London, joined Devo. Um, but I know you've just recently taken the COO role, uh, COO role at Vera. Two, what, a month ago, something like that? It feels like two years, but uh, yes, it is two months. So you was an advisor for them first um, before jumping ship. Is that right? Okay, That's cool. Right. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about Bearer then. Yeah, um, so Bearer is a really exciting company that was introduced to me by uh, one of their investors, Alvin. And uh, I got to know the founder and CEO uh, quite a bit during the time I advised them. Uh, what was interesting in the beginning is like, they had a really good understanding of how to build product, right? And in, in security, you either see like 90% of the product builders out there know the market really well, right? Uh, which means that they are able to network with professionals, potential customers, and then start to build the product that would like, you know, fit their needs and requirements, right? Um, which is, I think, very waterfall way of thinking, right? Like you, you can spend probably six to 12 months to 18 months just trying to get a reasonable product out, right? Uh, and I think this team did the opposite. Like from a developer, from an engineering point of view, they really understood the problems that the security team would bring to them and solving them with the security tools that they had access to were really bad. And, uh, it was almost impossible. They would never adopt them. They would never use them. So they started building a product that they would use um, rather than going and understanding problem of everybody in security, right? Yeah. So 
Um, and I think once they solved their own problems, they started to understand other problems that the customers had and started to build top of that. So this difference in approach really excited me about what they were doing. And then I think um, knowing what I know about the market, I complemented that with uh, a couple of strategy sessions with the founding team and, and the advisory board and uh, soon to realize that uh, they really were excited by what I presented. They wanted me like to join full-time. And of course, you know, uh, it was something that I had interest in doing as well. So it, it worked out really well then. Nice, mate. Well, good luck with it. Um, you're going to hate me for this, but I went back on your LinkedIn profile two years and saw you posted something. And it was, um, what do you think the difference is between management and leadership? Do you remember posting that? I and do. The response was amazing. And um, the comments were great. And I, I, it got me really thinking about that question. Um, what was your take on it now? Obviously, two years later. <laughs> but I just wondered, that I think that'd be a good, uh, a good point. To be honest with you, I don't remember the article, but I always talk about this like in my own head, uh, mm. to the friends that I know. And I think it's it's very simple, right? Like when you think about managing things, right? You're reasonably hands-off when it comes to the task at hand, right? And what you're not doing there is uh, enabling the doer in... Uh, you know, realizing their potential fully, rather you're kind of like tasking them with something that will get executed. And at the end of the day, you don't learn too much and they don't learn too much, right? They are, their uh, focus is just to get to the outcome and your focus is to realize the outcome. That's about it, right? Um, I think when it comes to leadership, uh, you have to be a little bit more deliberate about what you're asking someone to do. And at the same time, like have that, understanding of the rough framework, the rough outcome. So you are a little bit deeper into this process of um, growing them. And it's not just a short-term outcome, short-term outcome that you're looking for. You're looking for a long-term outcome. So in, in, in a startup, this is like way more relevant than probably at a huge company because uh, we are not necessarily looking to like hire an engineer and like, hope to see them as engineer like five, 10 years later. I mean, that's great for a large company like Google, but for us, we want to see them progress to, you know, eventually becoming VPs, you know, if that's of interest to them yeah. or, or, you know, distinguished engineers, depending on path they want to take um, or, or CTOs or co-founders at, at another startup, right? So I think um, that's always the path that we, we try to highlight. And I think that's what, good leadership is like and that's why we are able to hire and retain so many amazing people like we have a really good team uh and i'm proud of what they're able to build and release like um i think if you talk to most people who have done software security application security in the last five ten years um taking on the task of building a um, static code and analysis solution a security product uh, like that it, so it seems so gargantuan that most people would give up on it. But this team did it in two years. And I think this is amazing. And now we are starting to see a lot of excitement in the market uh, about what we are building. It's a fresh approach to an industry that has been um, primarily led by a waterfall approach of, of security testing and reporting uh, to a developer-led approach where you can start to prevent a lot of security risks from happening nice. early. Yeah. yeah. 
And I just love doing these podcasts because I feel like you can just talk for, for ages on them. Um, so to wrap this up, because I know we're trying to keep them to 20 minutes on the episodes, um, your Calendly, you have a question on there, which is what cybersecurity resources are your go-to or something along those lines? And you must get a ton of interesting responses to that question. What are your go-to cybersecurity resources? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it changes based on uh, what your uh, focus is at the time. Um, today, I, I really like uh, reading practitioners' newsletters, right? Like uh, there's a newsletter called Security Pills Newsletter, which is uh, written by uh, a friend uh, at uh, Bishop Fox, um, cybersecurity consulting company. Um, you know, amazing practical tips on how to manage AppSec, but also highlighting new tools. Um, and then there is a return on security uh, newsletter by uh, Mike uh, yep. Pivet, uh, which is very exciting as well. Clint Gibbler does a good job of TLDRSec, um, you know, highlighting tools. Um, same thing with Daniel Mishler. Um, I can go on. I think newsletters nice. have become like the the apps to, to discover new things uh, nice. and, and updates in security for me. 100%. Nippon, thanks for coming on, brother. It's been excellent. Really Amazing. appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for having me. This uh, leaves me so happy um, talking about myself like a, uh, you know, like an amazing person, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're a legend. Thanks, mate. But, but hopefully, you know, the listeners can can gain something from it and, and feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm sure they will do. Thanks, Nippon. <laughs>